Let me show you how it's done. Well, well, welcome. You are listening to The Drop, Drop, Drop. podcast on business, tech, and influence. I am one half of The Drop, Tam Dania, head of strategy. I lead insights and product. I focus on tech, in particular, solutions that solve real-world problems. And I'm here with... My name is B. Pagels Minor. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I have been a product manager for over a decade at some of the world's most well-respected companies like Sprout Social, Apple, and Netflix. I've led teams that built important parts of the App Store, launched games at Netflix, built listening at Sprout Social. All in all, my DNA is fully being a product manager. This is part two of the Drops podcast, What's an Insight Worth? Gunny Scarfo joins B and Tam to talk about the value of developing the right insights. Gunny is the co-founder of Nonfiction Research, an insights strategy firm. Gunny is the former head of strategy at Vice Media's digital agency, former head of strategy at Tenth Wave, inaugural board president at Brooklyn Poets. Please enjoy the show. What I've learned is that it is very hard to teach curiosity. And so this is why I say hire for skills. If I had to build this team of research, I would go journalism first. Tell me about a time you were shocked by a new insight you discovered. I love Mm. these moments. When you go in, there is a general hypothesis. You're going to discover you're open-minded and it just blew you out the water. Maybe you had to do some extra digging because you were just like, I'm not convinced. Can you recall a time when that happened? Yeah, I think one thing that comes to mind is I think we we try to go in so like blank to expectations that we're probably shocked less than you might think. However, what often shocks us is the depth of something or how prevalent it is, even though people aren't talking about it. And we're about to release in the next few weeks, I'd say a public report where this is something that we worked on for about nine months appropriately because it deals with pregnancy. And it was led by Lindsay Waking on our team. She's our head of strategy. And it was, the study was essentially, what is the experience of pregnant Americans in their interactions with the healthcare system? And we knew that there was going to be, it really centered on like mental health and emotional care. And we knew it wasn't going to be great, right? Most people weren't going to be like, during the time that I was pregnant, I couldn't have imagined better emotional care. But I think the, for us, the prevalence of, pregnant Americans who struggled deeply with deep and dark and difficult feelings during pregnancy was even more widespread than we expected it to be. And when you spend time talking to people about these experiences, it's really hard for people to admit because Parenthood is supposed to be this like Instagram version of life where everything's happy and you've got these photos and there's a little baby and everyone's thrilled or even like the pregnancy part where the person who's pregnant is supposed to be overcome with joy over like the future. And yeah, there are some wacky things. There are good days and bad days and some nausea. But when you dive into the reality of being pregnant 
the things that that people feel are really often difficult, not just to experience, but even to tell your friends or your parents about. And it gets it gets dark and difficult. And the work that we're publishing, the first part of it goes into just how difficult that experience can be for so many pregnant people. The second part looks at the way that the healthcare system is not set up to actually provide emotional care in the same ways that it is set up to to offer medical or physical care. And that even that is spotty, I would say. Like there's a great diversity of people's experiences with OBGYNs and, and the pregnancy system. And then a lot of those uh, gaps in quality care are exacerbated when it comes to the emotional side of things. Like why could your OBGYN not ask like whether you've been having difficult feelings that you need someone to talk to? And there are reasons for it. So in the next part of the research, we dive into the reasons for it that have to do with insurance and traditions and cutting ends off of hams and this kind of thing. And then in the last section, we explore some of the things that can be done. And it's everything from really simple things like normalizing pregnancy, not being happy-go-lucky all the time to some like deeper structural change that could really help. And so it's a really incredible study. The stuff that the team who worked on that did, I'm, I'm just proud to know them and like happy that, that it's coming out of our company. The company who sponsored the research, a company called Twill, which does like digital health is set up to help address the problem, which is also gives some hope. But looking back at that project, am I shocked that pregnant Americans are not getting the care that they need emotionally? Not really. It's not like you can't believe it, but the depth and the prevalence of it and some of the disparities that you see being as stark as they are, that's what's the most shocking. And I'd say like we, we normally hit something like that in most of our projects. So I just have to comment as a person who was just pregnant not that long ago and a person who's transgender, non-binary, who decided to have a baby. I yeah. really love that because I agree. I was so surprised at what I didn't know about pregnancy. And then I started yelling at my friends. I literally yelled at my friends and family and said, why do we not talk about how much it actually sucks to be pregnant? B, that's it. And that's was, exactly it. Yes. So to your point, it's so pervasive. Billions of people have had children and you still, <laughs> we still do not talk about what it looks like to have a child and what you should be prepared to do to have that child. That's it. Not the right people in the room, part of it. But I also think you're also saying something. One of the things I like to preach about is that creativity lies in the perspective of the problem, which is why I prioritize proper discovery and unbiased discovery so that you can get to a proper insight to properly define that problem. As product managers, we know like what the impact of an improper insight can lead to in development. You're just going to be an agile forever. <laughs> Lean and agile cannot fix this. There's nothing in agile that fixes bad strategy. And strategy is built on these insights. One insight I came across that was against conventional wisdom that I'm glad that people took the time to go deeper into is the concept of food deserts and why obesity is prevalent in poor communities. And 
This I want to make a comment on is the difference between an observation and an insight. Mm -hmm. To me, an observation is something everybody can see. 38% of people do this, or 45% of people do this, or there is not this, or there is this. An insight is an explanation and understanding of why that's there. And previously, the conventional thought about obesity in poor communities, there was food density, they didn't have access to good food. But it's not true that there was access to good food. The real reason is, is that in poor communities, food is love. And so the insight there was that sometimes junk food was used as a way of giving into a child's request or spoiling a child in ways that richer families can't do. They can't take them on vacation. They can't give them that Game Boy. They can't buy them that iPad. And so the, the alternative to that was to overfeed them. And I thought that that was probably the bigger insight, because how do you solve the problem of obesity in a community? The answer is not go put a healthy food store on the corner and take away the potato chips. It's just not the answer. What we're all saying, difference between an observation and an insight, the difference between understanding why something is happening and just having the will to go deeper into something and try to answer why is that really there? It's beyond surface level, in my opinion. I totally agree. It also takes some measure of courage to ask certain challenge, certain orthodoxies of thought. And I don't care what political belief you're coming from. I don't care what your background is. You've got orthodoxies of thought. And part of research is, I mean, if you really care about research, if you really care about the findings, and if you really care about the people who you are trying to serve, you have to challenge some of those orthodoxies along the way. And I'm not familiar with the, the research you're talking about on food deserts, although now you got me all excited to go read it. That stuff's powerful, and it takes some courage to even ask those questions. Just gorging on some of your YouTube stuff, the Rogue interview. Talk to our audience about what is the Rogue interview, when you mm. use it, what's the value of it really quickly? Sure. So in the course of a research study, you're spending a lot of time living with, talking to the people that you're actually studying, whatever that audience is. Then you're also interviewing experts who have written a book on the topic, or they're a salesperson who has sold thousands of products to this audience, and they know the audience. You might be doing quantitative work. like All of that stuff is cool. But sometimes, too... Partway through a project, when you have a, a rudimentary understanding of what the findings are shaping up to being, you need to find an expert who is off the beaten path, who can help you understand either the audience or how to solve the challenge. And so we spent time talking to, when we were working on the financial services report that ended up being the secret financial lives of Americans, we spent time with two convicted bank robbers and we were asking them like, hey, why were you robbing a bank? Of all the things to rob, there are a lot of things easier to rob than a bank. Why were you robbing a bank? And some of the answers came back talking about like their antipathy towards the banks and the financial system. They're just like, I hated banks because they have all the information about how money works. And they don't share it with the people. And we're like, oh, interesting. But one of the best examples we could give of this is we were doing work for a home improvement store. And partway through the process, the researcher found that people hit a stumbling block. Is it, I don't know if either of you have done DIY projects, but like 
<clears throat> most people, when you get into it, it goes great for the first 10%. And then shit goes sideways. Like, oh, I didn't realize there was tile underneath that thing. Or, oh, there's a pipe there. Or, oh, I wanted to put that into the wall, but it won't hold. Something happens. And it's this moment where your project kind of chokes. And what happens in that moment <clears throat> is often that people will either postpone or abandon the project. And people told us all sorts of wild stories about having a hole in their wall for like years because they just didn't want to get back around to doing the project. They were intimidated by it. Like they thought it was going to be easy. They had this dream of how perfect it was going to be just like Pinterest. And then they started on it and something unexpected happened and shit went sideways. So that's a really bad situation for the consumer, right? Because now you got a hole in your wall for two years and you're like kicking yourself and you're disappointed and it stays on your to-do list for a long time and you feel shame and all of this stuff. But it's also really bad for the business, right? Because the person's not going back to the store to finish the project and they're not working on future projects. So everyone loses in this scenario. So the researchers asked, okay, who could we talk to that would tell us about how to prepare somebody for shit going sideways, for unexpected things to happen. And the first thing that we thought of was, oh, what about doulas? Doulas prepare pregnant people for all sorts of scenarios that could occur during and after childbirth. They're in the business of preparing people for the unexpected. And then we thought, oh, what about special forces operators, like elite military people who like parachute in in the nighttime and they get there and then the map doesn't look like the land that they were told it was going to look like, or there are more people defending the target or whatever. So we went and we spent time and talked to doulas and special forces operators, including a guy who had helped write the training regimen for the army's elite sniper team. And by talking to both of them, we learned all sorts of things about how to prepare people for the unexpected. Now, if you had asked us at the beginning of the project, hey, nonfiction, what's going to be the key to solving the challenges for a home improvement store? At no point would we have been like, oh, we'll tell you, doulas and special forces operators. But along the way, you start to see the shape of what the problem really is or the shape of what the person's really feeling or the shape of what needs to happen. And in those moments, we often look to what we call rogue experts to teach us what we need to learn. And while it might seem unconventional, if you are just staring at the project from the outside, from the inside, if you really care about these people, if you really care about getting them to where they want to go, of course, you're going to talk to a doula or a special forces operator or a bank robber or a SM Reiki healer or a therapist or whoever it might be that might seem unconventional or not corporate-y, but, uh, but that's exactly where you should go. Well, I was just going to say that I didn't know that we were going to mention BDSM and Reiki and pregnancy. So, Gunny, we definitely have to have you back on the show because this is more than my type of conversation than just about any conversation we've ever had, I think. Nice. I love that. Like the analogous adjacent industries that could provide some some benefits. Oh, that's great. Um, I'm ready to speak about all three of those topics at length. 
We can do that. So in the news recently, TikTok is opening fulfillment centers in an e-commerce play. What do you think the insight, we're just going to geek on that a little bit, all three. What do you think the insight is there? If you were in that room, they hired Gunny or they said, we are now going to be in fulfillment centers. What was the insight? I need to confess. I, I was just going to say, I, I don't, I often wonder, I often try to reverse engineer the insight off of either a business decision or even just an ad that, that I see. And I'm like, what were they thinking? Like sometimes it's ridiculous, but oftentimes like there's a real insight and you're trying to figure out what it is. I think this would be a fascinating game. You would be an incredible game show host of like reverse engineer the insight. And I think we'll a lot of people would listen to it. I look forward to losing this game because I'm, my confession is that I'm terrible at it. I'm not able to reverse engineer anything. What would the guess be? The guess would be that a significant segment of TikTok creators are looking to sell merchandise of some sort that they need either shipped or drop shipped and that, that a significant percentage of them are like TikTok only, I would think, or like creator only and don't already have this because there are tons of other companies that offer this sort of warehousing and shipping service. But I don't know. I guess my first guess would be that the insight is that by bundling it together, TikTok can disintermediate those other companies and just provide it all as one bundle. That's my best shot. I don't know. B? So my wife loves YouTube videos. So my, my wife is a marketer. And so she like watches a lot of YouTube videos about marketing and marketing strategy. And whenever her YouTube is up and I walk into the room and she's not in there, I see a hundred videos about how to quickly monetize or make money on your, your physical product on TikTok. There's so many of these videos. And so I think the insight that TikTok got is that there's a lot of people who have shitty products who can somehow monetize it through us, but FYI, we need to make it really easy for them mm -hmm. to store those products so they can quickly get to their customers, right? And so if, at the very least, if their customers get these products mm -hmm. quickly, even if they're terrible, right? They provide no actual substantial value. The fact is TikTok is still selling. And so I think that what they're simply saying is that we know that this business is booming, it's gonna continue to boom. And so we wanna provide our creators the ability to quickly get these shitty products to their customers. I think you're on it, yeah shitty products. I think you're both right. I think this is a swipe at both Amazon and Shopify. TikTok is right. Their creators want to sell products and their viewers are looking at TikTok for inspiration on what to buy. They know that they are a facilitator in online purchases, but it's just not happening there. And what they're trying to say, I believe with this play is to say, why don't we capture that audience? Everybody wants to monetize their captive audience. And right now, TikTok has a captive audience that they're not monetizing in the e-commerce way. Meaning, so then they're saying, why don't we just vertically integrate? Let's create the platform where we'll house it. This is Amazon's FBA. So I think what they're going to do is tell the creators, send your product to us, drop ship to us. Maybe next play is we'll create the web store front, our own Shopify experience within TikTok. They'll never have to leave. They'll just do everything there. TikTok is ByteDance, which is a Chinese company, and they are very big on the mega app concept. You know, the WeChat, the everything is all in one app. I think that's what they're trying to do here. I don't think it's a bad insight to say our Gen Z population would maybe like to shop in one cohesive experience and let's just vertically integrate and own all of these channels. 
do you think they're going to be successful? E-commerce is hard. Why would you want to be in that business shit? I'll say this. It, it's a very different business than, than running a highly scalable social media platform. I love your, I love your analysis of it. And I think the creator economy in general is being squeezed because as creators, you are often sold a dream that you are going to someday have X amount of followers and then you're going to monetize that. And often what happens is you realize that you are, we did a study on this maybe a year ago. It was actually the biggest study of the creator economy that had ever been done among like the open field of creators. What we saw was that content creators are on this like content hamster wheel where you start creating content and then you have to just keep creating content. Otherwise the algorithm will deprioritize you and you, you start getting burned out. You're not earning what you were hoping to earn. And whereas like probably at least one of the smart ways to counteract that is to build a small but fervent community of followers where they can interact not just with you, but with each other around like your topic. And then eventually if the community is good, you can monetize the membership of that community. But merchandise and other stuff seems to be like an easier play, but it's maybe, unless it really fits your creator brand, it's maybe also a bit of a dream that you're going to sell enough merchandise to, to hit your financial goals. It's the creator economy right now is one of the most fascinating spaces to watch because it's, it's just at a point where new things are going to happen that are going to fundamentally change business models. And you're not exactly sure which companies are going to combine. You've got a lot of startup companies and you've got these big giants. And are the big giants going to buy the startup companies that offer these services? Are they going to build their own and just squash those companies? Or are... Actually, Tam, to your point, like I, I think a lot of creators are starting to evaluate whether or not their home is not on YouTube, not on TikTok, not on whatever your choose your platform. Uh, but their home is their own independent home. They're an independent creator. And they'll use these other platforms essentially as marketing and distribution channels. But if creators are fleeing that, then the big platforms are going to need to con continually provide tools to keep them to keep them there and to create a more integrated experience. So you can't leave TikTok. You can't leave YouTube. Yeah. Well, to be truthful, if anyone's going to do something well, it's going to be ByteDance. Like I've been so impressed. I, from a technologist perspective, I love the way they build their products. I love the way that they learn from their products. In fact, I, we should actually find out who their insights team is and go have coffee with them because there's something magical about what they've been able to do. And it's been, it's repeated success and it's been, it's been extreme success over and over and over again so very well that's exactly it i think all creators want to be independent and that is the story of all time whether you're a movie star or a recording artist they always go back to the plantation unfortunately they just always accept a big deal because that allure is really hard it's really hard to do all of that yourself i do think you mentioned something that got me on this path this was a quote that actually came from rory sutherland ogilvy Brilliant insight. What he said was, the quickest way to get the most opportunity is to be famous. 
famous people are in the best position to receive opportunities that they would not otherwise have, right? Just in virtue of being famous. You get all of these opportunities, become a model, this flywheel kind of effect. And that is why I think most people, if you ask elementary school kids, when we were in elementary school, you wanted to be a basketball player. You wanted to be very defined famous roles. Now it's influencer. People want to be influencers before they want to be Celine Dion or whatever artist they want to be because they understand that this personal brand is the flywheel effect. And if TikTok is going to capitalize on that, TikTok is going to say, the next Kim Kardashian can be made here. And if Kim Kardashian is going to start their Skims line, they're going to start it with us because that's the next play. After you have fulfillment, the next thing is say, we also have manufacturing. We are after all in China, right? We can also manufacture the goods and distribute it. And so you can create an entire line here. This is so smart. On TikTok. Or did I just make that shit up right now? I don't <laughs> These ideas are free. Time will tell. Thank you so much for listening to the Drops Podcast. We love having you. We love your feedback. Please do connect with us across social media. We are the Drops Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And we also have a great email, thedropspodcast at gmail.com. You can send in any questions that you have, and we definitely would love to answer them on the podcast. Feel free to ask just about anything because we have experienced a ton of different things. Again, thank you so much for listening to The Drops Podcast.